And we looked at, we began verses 1 through 9 last week. And the idea of being called to be saints. And we, we looked at the first three verses tonight. We're going to finish out through the end of verse number 9 there. But as Paul begins his letter to the church in Corinth, and he writes to them about this, these issues in this church, he tells them to begin with, don't forget though, you've been called to be saints. We talked about this calling being God instigated, um, something that God brought them to. And though the world around them would pull them back toward the unholy living of the place that they are in, that they still have this calling to the holiness that is attached to being a saint. Tonight we're going to see the follow-up to that as Paul just kind of concludes his introductory remarks and begins then in verse 10 with, hey, here's the issue that I'm writing to you about. We're going to see Paul say, you've been called to be saints. God started this, but he finishes that off with a wonderful thought, which is God will finish this. And what a comfort that is to you and I as we study these verses that in the will of God and with things that God has begun, it's like we sang, He is the sure and steady anchor. The, the, the rougher things get above the water, the deeper that anchor goes and the firmer it will hold. We praise the Lord for that. So we looked at last time in this call to be saints that this was the will of God. Paul said that he was called to be an apostle, that that was the will of God. That we are the church then, for sure, but us now indirectly have been called to be saints. And this calling is a summons from a king. It is the will of God. It's nothing we've done to merit in our own selves. Um, He he even talked about being called by God in verse 3, that all of this was from God and Jesus. We move now from this idea of the will of God over to the supply of God. You ever heard that old saying in religion, where God guides, he provides? And there's 57 versions of that, where God leads, he feeds, you know. (laughs) Uh, If you're in a prosperity church, it's whatever you want, you'll get. That's kind of the version of that. But but, but this is what Paul is saying here. This this kind of Bible doctrine is, is where those sort of cliche statements originate from, hopefully, right? God's will is that we are called to be saints. God's supply is what makes us saints. And let me give you uh, six points tonight. So many I had to count them. I'll give them to you up front, though. The supply of God in verse 4 is grace. The supply of God in verse 5 is enrichment. The supply of God in verse 6 is confirmation. The supply of God in verse 7 is is all of this gifting and this hopefulness of the return of Christ. In verse number 8, the supply of God is that He has made us blameless. And then in verse number 9, the supply of God is His very own faithfulness. So I want us to look through each of those. But let's read first. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother, Unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Jesus Christ, called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Christ Jesus, that in everything you are enriched by Him in all utterance and in all knowledge even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall also confirm you unto the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you you were called unto the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we ask for your help now. Illuminate our eyes and our minds to your word. Bless this time as we study it. May we grasp the rich doctrinal truths that you've given to us through the Apostle Paul. Help us as we think about the church in Corinth to hold that mirror up to Harpeth Baptist Church. Oh Lord, we want to be a doctrinal church.
church. We want to be a biblical church. We want to be doing your will here in this area in this time. Oh, Father, help us to do the good works that you would have us to do. Help us to evangelize as you would have us to evangelize. Help us to disciple others as you would have us to disciple others. Help us to glorify you in our actions, our words, our songs, our prayers, all that we do. Bless us as we study the book of Corinthians and try to use it to help ourselves. Thank you that you've given us this tool. In Jesus' name, amen. So in being called to be saints, God has supplied us first in verse number four with grace. Now we looked at grace a lot last time because it's a part of these other verses that we brought in. But verse four, he says simply, I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God, which is given you by Jesus Christ. So Paul comments on God's gift of grace that has been granted by Christ. And the grace that he writes of here, I want you to think of it in this moment as goodwill. We understand grace to be God's unmerited favor. And we talk about it often specifically in that regard because we're talking about what is theologically known as salvific grace, the grace involved in salvation. And that's fine, and that's, that's a part of this, but I want you to think of it as more than that. What are some other graces from God that you can think of right now that aren't directly involved in salvation, but they are still blessings from the Lord that we would call, these are also His unmerited favors in our life. Somebody give me one good example right now. Healing. What's that? Healing. Healing. Yep, what's another one? Answers to prayer. What else? Provision. Provision. I'm going to give you a real simple one. That chair that's holding you up off the ground right now. Do you remember in elementary school they'd make you sit down on the library floor? I don't know generations of this. This will be different. That was uncomfortable. It wasn't fun. I like chairs. I'm thankful for chairs. Now, is it silly for us to say that this is a grace of God that we have a chair? Yeah, really it is up against what Paul is talking about here. But aren't there some physics involved? And the way that thing is made, and that it holds up your body weight up against gravity, and that it holds up the variety of body weights that we have in this assembly. We have babies, and we have large adults, and everything in between. And it works for all of us. It's amazing that God put all of this together, and it works. Did you learn about the sun and the moon and the stars when you were in school? And how one little thing being just a little bit differently located than it is, and what happens? Chaos. Yeah. Mass destruction. Would that be a grace of God? Surely it is. So with that kind of thinking in mind, I want us to approach verse 4 as Paul says, I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ. Now you notice the punctuation at the end there. He doesn't complete a sentence. So he's going to continue a thought, and we're going to continue that thought with him, but I've got to get you thinking there about grace that is good will, not just that which was shown through our justification by faith. It is that, but it's more than that. Wearsby writes here, salvation is a gracious gift of God, but when you are saved, you are also given spiritual gifts. Paul is going to later in chapter 12, 13, and 14 really delve down into the gifting that these believers in Corinth have in Christ. In fact, if you take any of the letters that we have written to the churches and say, okay, which church had spiritual gifts more than any other. You'd probably have to say the Corinthians. At least it was dealt with more than any other church here. So this is a very unique group here. So he's going to deal with that later. But for now, I want us to simply call it all of that which God has bestowed upon any through the gospel. I'm thankful, Paul says, for the grace that's been granted to you in Je through Jesus Christ. And what are we talking about there by the grace we're talking about salvific grace for sure. But we're, we're also talking about all that has been bestowed upon any through the gospel. I think for a general definition of exactly what this is, we can use the fruits of the Spirit written about to the Galatians. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, Meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. Aren't you thankful for those graces in your life? I'm so thankful that there is joy in life and peace in life and long-suffering in life and 
gentleness in life. Paul's tone here in regards to this grant, this this gift given by God through Jesus Christ, is thankfulness. He says, I'm always sure to thank God on your behalf. And, And I want us to consider right now, are we thankful in that way? We see Paul's tone of thankfulness here, but don't miss how he's going at this. It's not Paul saying, I'm thankful for you in my life because you have this. It's not Paul saying, I'm thankful for this in my life. Paul says, I thank God on your behalf for this in your life. Now we go at that way with prayer, don't we? We call it intercessory prayer. We just did some of that. You said, I am sick, and we all said, we will pray on your behalf for that sickness. Well, Paul is doing some intercessory thanksgiving here. Now, that's a unique thought. That's something that you don't hear a lot about or something that I don't think we practice very often. When is the last time you stopped and prayed an intercessory prayer of thanksgiving? Lord, I thank you for this in somebody else's life. And we pray those prayers ourselves. Lord, I thank you for this. Thank you for that. You've blessed me very much in this regard. I'm very thankful and grateful for this. But that's not what Paul says here. And I think what he is saying here is a necessary practice for us, the modern church. if, If we will begin to practice this, it will affect our own praying and it will affect our own thinking. I believe it will cause fuller contentment in our own lives. We begin to thank God for physical blessings in someone else's life. It would probably cause you to be more content with what the physical blessings you have in your life. You begin to thank God. And it not only will cause you to have more contentment, but it's going to have you, cause you to have a fuller heart of thankfulness yourself because you're thinking for you and for them as well. I think ultimately, though, what Paul is doing here is what's going to happen for us in our lives should we begin to practice intercessory thanks giving, you don't have to call it that, just what I've been calling it today when I've been working on this, it'll cause us to show a measure of grace to someone whom we otherwise got to deal with something very difficult with about them. Paul's got to write to this church and say, you know, I heard this is going on in that church and it shouldn't be. And I heard these things are happening in your church and it shouldn't be. In fact, Paul's got to write to them and say, Corinth, you guys have been very blessed with spiritual giftings. You're, you're rich in this regard. But you're misusing these gifts that have been given to you. You're not being good stewards of how God has brought this on. But he doesn't start this letter this way. He doesn't go into this conversation with these people this way. He goes into it by saying, I'm thankful to God on your behalf for the grace that He has given to you. Shouldn't we treat others that way in our life? There are people in life that you just want to rip their head off. There are people in your life that God has put in there for you to correct them, and you're able to give some correction, biblical correction to them, but don't forget to balance it with this. Yes, I want to deal with you because of this sin in your life, but before we ever get there, I want to say how much I am thankful to God that you are in my life. I'm thankful to God that He has saved you. I'm thankful to God that He has brought us together at this time in this place for this purpose. And think of something else. You can just completely, maybe random, force yourself to cause a thankful thought to come into your mind for that other person. Because if we don't do that, that other person is going to start avoiding you like the plague. Do you have somebody like that in your life? Do you just assume not be around them? you just assume not talk to them? My kids are kind of like that with me sometimes. They see me coming down the hall and they scatter. I feel like Marshall Dillon with my guns and they're criminals. Here they come. Well, hello, Brother Thomas. It's good to see you. Here we are. Come on in here. For those of you who don't know, this is our missionary to Central and South America, Dennis Thomas. A modern day Paul the Apostle. <laughs> good to see you, brother. I was being Marshall Dillon. All right, here we go. Marsh. But my kids, they see me coming, you know, that, that sound plays. Ooh, wee, wee, wee. And bam, 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 there they go. Why? Because dad's going to say, pick up your clothes. Put away your toys. Make your bed. Don't talk to your mother that way. 
And a dad needs to say all those things. But you know what else a dad needs to say? I love you. I'm proud of you. You're a good kid. You're smart. You don't stink all the time. Wait, see there, I'm going negative again. This is what Paul is doing here. He said, I thank God, my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Christ Jesus. He's practicing intercessory thanksgiving. This Corinthian church, chock full of issues, but Paul still finds a way to be thankful as he begins this for something in their life. I think this is certainly worth trying. And as we practice it, we'll find that it's worthwhile. But if not, just say it's our duty because we find it in the Bible and we need to do what it is that we see Paul doing. McDonald writes here, it was a noble trait in Paul's life that he always sought to find something thankworthy in the lives of his fellow believers. God help us to be that way. A lot of hard work out there. A lot of difficult things we have to do and, be, and deal with. But God's still on the throne. God is still good. Jesus is still Lord. And we got a lot to be thankful for. Amen. Calvin remarks about this thanksgiving Paul offers here in verse 4 as being almost congratulatory. There we go. Oh, what's happened since we got to the Bib Center? I cannot pronounce words. It's the atmosphere in here or something. It's because it's not a church, it's a civic center. So I need to start using governmental words instead of biblical words, maybe. But I think what Calvin is saying here is a noteworthy thought for us to consider. Paul is thankful on their behalf for God's supply. He is glad for their sake of the grace that they have received, while still attributing no credit to the Corinthians at all for that which they possess. He still says to them here, Christ granted this grace, but I'm still celebrating with you this grace that is in your life. So let us be thankful. Let us be celebratory as we go through our lives. So God supplies grace. And then in verse 5, God's supply is enrichment. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 5, that in everything you are enriched by Him in all utterance and in all Knowledge. Now Paul begins to list for us the particulars of this grace that he is thankful for. God's grace is evident in their lives through utterance and through knowledge. Knowledge being that inward comprehension, presumably of Scripture, at least what they would be being taught by the apostles at that time. And then utterance being that ability to articulate outwardly what is comprehended internally. Paul says here, you are enriched by Him in all utterance and knowledge. The things you've come to know of Bible doctrines and then utterance of things that you can speak in regards to Bible doctrines. Believers are able to speak as God wants because of this gifting. We must be studied up in the Word to provide the content. And we surely must be prayerful as we approach this speaking. Nevertheless, we find here a gifting of speech and knowledge. Now I want to give you a contextual note because we're going to get to this later. 1 Corinthians 12. Flip over there with me real quick. Hold your place in chapter 1. I want us to apply chapter 1 verse 5 outside of this note, but I want us to be aware that this is where Paul is going with this church in regards, and I'll make more of that here in just a moment. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 4. He says, now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. What does manifestation mean? Yeah. How it is made known. It's an, it's an outer thing. It's a verbalized or an action so we would say, in the Old Testament, the Messiah was not manifested. He was what? Prophesied. prophesied. In the New Testament, though, he stopped being prophesied and he was manifested. He was made known. He, he came into being physically before people's eyes. This is what he says here in verse 12. The manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. Now, every man is a word like all. Who is, who is involved in every man? Every man. Great job. <laughs> 
For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one and self same Spirit, dividing every man severally as he will. A couple of things at work here. Number one, the main thing I want us to grab from this is the Holy Spirit has gifted every one of us with this ability. Now this ability that he's talking about here in chapter 1 verse 5 is to be able to know and speak what we know. So, so I want to eliminate from any of you this doubt or this excuse. Well, I just have a hard time understanding and boy, I sure am not, I ain't no good at talking. Right? Stop that. God's put people in your lives for you to be able to disciple them how much more do you have to know than they do to be able to disciple them? you got to stay a week ahead, right? Or unless you're working with them every day, then you need to stay a day ahead. But I mean, it's as simple as that. Now, I encourage you to make it a lot more than that. And we try to give you tools to make it a lot more than that. But stop excusing your own laziness and your own ignorance. Are you insulted? Good. By saying, well, it's just not, this is just not how I'm, I am. That's not what it says here. You are called to be saints, and God has supplied you what you need to fulfill that calling. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, that is made clear. Verse 5, he says, In everything you are enriched in Him, gifted by Him for utterance and knowledge. Now, over here in chapter 12, we're going to find later that the Corinthians had been given the gifts of tongues, they had been given the gift of interpretation of tongues. They had been given this gift of knowledge to an extraordinary degree based off what Paul is writing about here. And surely we can apply that to what we are finding here in verse number 5 within the context of the entire letter. Not the immediate, but the general context here. But in the immediate, we can also apply this to ourselves minus those specific gifts. Paul uses here in chapter 1, verse 5, the Greek word plutizo, from which we get the English word enriched. He says you are enriched in everything by Him. The word means to be caused to become very wealthy in resources. And that Greek word could be used figuratively and it also could be used literally. So a person who has a whole lot of land well, you could say they are plutizo, they are enriched, and that would be literal. A person who you say, boy, they're just, a, they're just a great person. I like them, I want to be like them, I want to be around them. Well, you could say, well, they're enriched, and then you could, be, you could mean, and that is literal to some extent, but you could also say that in the figurative sense, you could say they're rich in personality, right? This is the understanding from this word, to call someone to have an abundance of that which is of value or worth. Well, who has been caused by God to have this abundance? Verse 5, that in everything you are enriched by Him in all utterance and in all knowledge. Paul's going to later write in chapter 8, verse 7, this word. He'll say, therefore, as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all diligence, in your love to us, see that you abound in this grace also, point being, God has given us all that we need and more to live this life. We are abundant. We are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus, our Lord. So here, we will understand him to be laying a foundation for that that he's going to later deal with specifically. But still, this part of God's supply in their lives, Paul writes and says, I am thankful that he's called you to be saints and that He's given you this supply. He's enriched you. He has gifted you with utterance and knowledge specifically here. And that's our supply as well. MacArthur notes here, God provides believers with all the knowledge they need in order to speak effectively for Him. How do we get that knowledge? Well, number one, you study the Word. All the time. In the morning, at night. I, I want to I belabor this point. This is going to cause me to run over time because I've got to get these nine verses done tonight. I was just having this conversation with one of you Sunday. 
We've gotten pretty good as the, the modern American church of teaching people how to be good churchgoers. But I don't know that we're very good at teaching how to be Christians Monday through Saturday. I think that's a huge issue. So I want to pause here and be specific on what we're talking about here. When I say, number one, you need to get familiar with the Word. That means you wake up in the morning and pray, and you open the Word of God and you read it. Amen. And, I, and some of you, your schedules are different than others. Some of you, you got, you got all morning. You, you can read chapters and chapters and chapters. Some of you, you get up and you've got 15 minutes to shower, shave, have your breakfast, and be on the road. Well, tape a verse to the mirror while you're shaving. You're reading that verse. While you're in the shower there, get you one of these smart speakers and say, read me 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And it will read you 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Get the Word in your ears while you're taking your shower. While you're having your bowl of cereal in the morning or your eggs and bacon and ham or whatever it is that you do, have your Bible sitting there. Read the Word. On your way to work, put preaching on. And We have bought radio network here for the most part. Those sermons are are good guys with good sermons. I could tell you a few of them that I would avoid. Rick Warren, primarily, if he's still on there. But now we're in the age of smart devices. I get in now, my, I've got an 07 car. I've got a pretty old car. I plug in my phone, and anything my phone can reach, it can. So if I want to hear John MacArthur preach 1 Corinthians 1, I can Google John MacArthur, Grace to You, 1 Corinthians 1. There's 78 sermons there. I click one of them, and while I ride, I rode to the airport today to take Stephen and Liz. On my way back, I'm listening. I wasn't listening. I should have listened to John MacArthur preach 1 Corinthians. It would have been a good idea. Yes, sir. Connie and I couldn't believe and heard you coming home one day. Oh, all right. Look at me. <laughs> Praise the Lord. And thanks to Jimmy. <laughs> but put on preaching. We shouldn't only be hearing preaching on Sundays. You need a sermon on Monday. You need one on Tuesday. You need one on Wednesday. Renewing your mind. R.C. Sproul. Every single day you, get a, you can get a renewing your mind. Uh, I put one on our church's faith life this week. Man, he did a great job talking about the guy who had a bumper crop. And how many of you have listened to that? I put it up there and asked you to listen to it. Thank you. And if you haven't, it's your homework. But he, this guy said, I've got all this extra. What am I going to do? I'm going to build bigger barns. And the moral of that was, what he didn't know was that night his soul would be required of him. And man, I, I set my boys down that, that morning. I, I, I listened to that while I shaved, and I set my boys down, and I said, what are you planning to do today? And I let them tell me, and I said, what if you died tonight? What would you plan to do today? Oh, we're going to do something different. You know, Parker, of course, said, I'd rob a bank and go buy lots of cereal, you know, or something like that. I remember what he said, but it wasn't anything intelligent. But that changes how we think of things. Well, that, those thoughts would have never entered my mind outside listening to that man preach on that passage because I read a different passage that morning, but that got on my mind. And you know what I did at least for the rest of that day? Man, I lived like that might be my last day on the face of the earth. I smiled more. I witnessed more. I prayed more. I made some phone calls I've been putting off. I wouldn't have done that outside of that preaching. Thank God for the preaching. So when I say you've got to be in the Word, I don't just mean you show up for Bible study. Thank you for showing up for Bible study. But it's an all-day, every-day, every moment of the day. You've got to get the Word inside of your brain. You sit down at lunchtime. Find some people at work. Read the Bible together. When you sit down with your family at night and have dinner, talk about the Word. Read the Word. Before you go to bed at night, flip the lamp on. Read from the Word. Get the Word inside of your brain. And then you've got to pray. Okay, Lord, I've got all this knowledge. I've gotten some better of it now preaching. Brother Thomas, you could probably testify to this. When you first started preaching, I was 15. You were young too, weren't you? 19. 19. Do you remember, though, you'd be so full of zeal that you couldn't stop studying? Just study, study, study. And you get in the pulpit, and there was no direction. You're just like a kid with a machine gun. Pow, 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 pow. Just, just spouting stuff all over the place. And people sitting there trying to encourage you and take it in. And you just, there's no rhyme or reason and nowhere to it. But you were just so excited, so happy to preach. And you had this whole Bible before you. And these people needed to know what was there. Was, it, was that just me, or was it kind of that way for you? We've got to pray. Got to know, got to pray. And then you got to trust what we just read here. God's going to give you that knowledge. And then God's going to give you the utterance, the speech to go with. The apostles would have heard this early on. You're going to get pulled before dignitaries. Don't worry about what you're going to say. I'll give you words to say. 
Praise the Lord. So that's God's supply. And then in verse 6, God supplies confirmation. Even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. The presence of this enrichment from verse 5 is confirmation of the gospel of Jesus Christ at work in their lives, he says in verse 6. This testimony that he talks about. We know this. This was foretold by the prophets. It was manifested in Christ. It was passed along through the apostles' doctrine. And now it is being confirmed in the church. And he just makes this reminder here of this very thing being confirmed right now in our ears. That's what he says there in verse number 6. Even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. Verse number 7. God's supply is our gifting and the hope of the return of Christ. So that you come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Believers are supplied by God to prevent ever not having what is needed for the life we are called to live. We've been gifted. We've been gifted grace unto salvation, he said in verse 3 and verse number 4. We've been gifted, he says in verse 5, this knowledge and speech unto evangelism and discipleship. And then you can just go on and on and on listing God's graces that He has gifted through us, even though they're not in the immediate context of the passage we're reading here. Even though they're not, they are still applicable to what He is saying here. As Christians, we have at our disposal all that God bestows upon men. Let me give you a great verse for that. Romans 8.32 He that spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? Do you see the balance Paul paints there? If God would give you His Son on the cross to die for your sins, why would He hold anything else back from you? Now certainly there's some things He's going to hold back for your good. And that's a gift as in and of itself, isn't it? I mean, there's a reason they don't let me drive a race car everywhere that I go. I would wreck into you because I'd be going too fast. So that, those are graces from God when He keeps things from us. But man, we have at our disposal all of the resources of God. What's the limit to that? Well, let me just remind you. And God said, let there be, and there was. Praise the Lord. And Paul says, if God would give you His own Son, why would He not give you whatever else it is that you're going to need to do the ministry that He's calling you to do. What we're going to find later in this letter is the accusation against the Corinthian church of a deficiency. And it's not a deficiency of gifts. It's a deficiency in the use of these gifts. And that's what I think is so highly applicable to the American church. So many resources at our disposal. We live in such a blessed time. We live in such a rich time. We, we've got this virus going around and everybody can't get out. Well, we just like, I mean, just the, the snap of the finger. We didn't have to wash cars or have a bank sale. We just wrote a check and bought equipment and put it back there. And now people from home get to come and be a part of the church. We have a tornado. Destroy the building. One call. And the first call we made... They said, we'd love for you to come over here and use it. Help yourselves. We're glad to help you. We live in a, a very blessed time. The gifts of God to do what it is the church is called to do are many. We have no deficiency of gifts. We have deficiency in the use of those gifts. So church, let us never be guilty as the Corinthians were in their refusal to, whip, to recognize and repent. To what is going on here. He follows that then with the hope of the return of Christ. Not only do we not come behind in any gift. Which I love that phrasing in verse 7. So that you come behind in no gift. Anybody. Probably you don't want to raise your hands on this. But you, maybe there was a time where you were come. Like maybe you were. You, the teacher had to say to your mom or your dad. They're a little behind in this area in school. <laughs> Mine was focused. <laughs> I made great marks. I always made good grades, but I, I didn't always pay attention. I didn't always do what I was supposed to do what I was supposed to do it. You know, they, did y'all remember in kindergarten you got a smiley face, frowny face, that system? Some of you didn't get that because y'all still went to school when they spanked people. Now that's it. There's all smiley faces because every kid that was a frowny face got a whipping 
by the teacher, and you, you acted right, didn't you? Absolutely. So some of you are looking at me like, no, I didn't either. I stuck a knife in the teacher's tires after school. All right, but besides getting into that. As Christians, there's, you, you, you know, we might go to the doctor and say you're, you're, you're kind of behind in your health. You might go to the bank and say you're kind of behind in your finances. In education, you can be kind of behind in your marks. But Paul says here to the church, God has enriched you so that you come behind in no gifts. And then with that, is this part of his supply is the second part of verse 7, waiting for the coming of our Lord Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ. C.K. Barrett writes, Christians are what they are because through the Holy Spirit they have received the gifts of grace. And they are what they are because having been redeemed and called by the historic work of Christ, they now look for His coming to consummate His achievement. They live in remembrance of what He has done and in expectation of what He will do. Don't we? Praise the Lord. I just can't wait to see what He's going to do next. And I for sure can't wait to see His return. I want to meet Him. I want to be with Him. But I also just want to see Him fix a bunch of this. It's part of our observance in the Lord's table. One of our two Lord's ordinances. Church ordinances. 1 Corinthians 11, chapter, chapter 11, verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death until when? Until He come. Every time we take the Lord's table, what are we saying? We're waiting for His appearing. Barrett goes on to say it was a characteristic Corinthian error to concentrate on the present. Hmm. It's not just a Corinthian error, is it? That's an American error. It's a Tennessean error. It's a Harpeth Baptist Church error. To concentrate on the present with its religious excitement and to overlook the cost at which the present was purchased. Go back to Romans. God paid that price. Why would He, why would he hold back? 1 Corinthians 6. You can flip over there real quick. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 20. There He talks about the price. For you were bought with a price. Well, back up one phrase in verse 19. We talked about that Sunday morning. You are not your own. Whose are you? You're God's. He's master, and what does that make you? Slave. You have to have that slave mentality. You are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So, if we're not careful, like the Corinthian church, we get so focused on the present, we get so anxious over the present that we forget who is Lord of the present. We forget the price that He paid for the present in which we are living in. We also forget that the present in which we are living in is still incomplete. What's going to happen the rest of tonight? Well, we don't know. I mean, we think we know. But the phone could ring and change everything. Good or bad. And then even if we call it bad in the moment, we don't know if that's bad long term. Talking to Stephen and Liz on the way to the airport. These young married couple. Ready to go to the mission field. You remember you had lunch with them, Brother Dennis, yes. last year? Yes. Okay, well they just flew to Orlando, Florida tonight to begin their training with ABWE Mission Board. Boy, they're just on fire for the Lord. Oh so excited for them. But they've been a little concerned with New Zealand is closed. They can hopefully get into Australia, but it's still going to be a hard thing. But through their training, what they're learning is that there's a, there's a bottleneck coming. These countries that are closed down don't have immigrants. What do most developed countries depend on immigrants for? Labor. Work. Because <laughs> we're the taxpaying citizens. We'd rather somebody else from Mexico do the hard work we don't want to do. That's the way it is in America. Well, it's no different in Australia. And so they have this issue coming up where they may not be able to get in, but then all of a sudden, and New Zealand is one of the hardest countries to get into on a work visa, but all of a sudden they're going to have two years here of COVID restrictions on this labor. What's that going to cause? A labor shortage. So what do governments have to do? They have to relax regulations. And then what can missionaries do? Just get in all the easier. 
But we sit around and say, oh, when will this ever be over? This is horrible. I can't find any good purpose for all of this going on. And then there's a lot of bad and a lot of negative. And I'm not saying that there's not. But there's a silver lining to every cloud. Paul's writing to the Corinthian church about some horrible things here, but he says, hey, but I'm thankful for God's supply of grace in your life. And one of those is this working of God despite things. We get so concerned with the present, but the present is still incomplete. God's supply includes not only the present, but the future hope that we have. Titus calls it, or Paul said to Titus, this blessed hope. Looking for that glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Verse 8, then he says, uh, God's supply for us who've called to be saints is that he's made us blameless. Who shall confirm you unto the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus will one day confirm us blameless. We joked with Brother Tom earlier because his wife said he's doing better. And she meant his health is doing better. But as husbands, we understand the joke because we never seem to be doing good enough for our wives. We always need to be getting better. We sit around too much. We drink too much tea. We eat too much food. We don't exercise enough. We don't do our chores like we're supposed to do. Man. And in the back of our minds as husbands, we'll say, I didn't think I married my mama. But then we get sick and we'll say, Mom, I mean wife, I feel awful. I got a little sneeze here, help me. And we want our mothers, don't we? So, joking about Brother Tom being better here, it's an everyday thing in the Christian life, isn't it? Well, as soon as I feel like I've got this thing whipped, let him that Corinthians is going to eventually say this to us, let him that thinks he stands take heed lest he. Oh, gosh, I want to be blameless. I had the knowledge of it. I'm told that it was this way once before. I'm told that I've been made this way in Christ, but boy, I don't, I don't see it showing up in my life like I want it to. Oh, but I look forward to that day when He's finally going to confirm me blameless. John 14, Jesus said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. One day, Jesus will confirm us blameless. Revelation 3.10 Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. One day, he's going to confirm us blameless. And until then, we sang that song tonight. Until then, our hearts will go on singing. Why? Because He makes us settled unconditionally. Who shall also confirm you unto the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. As God began this work in the believer, He can be trusted to continue and complete this work unconditionally. Philippians 1.6 Being confident of this very thing, that He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Man. That word perform puts me in mind of the theater. These guys practice and they're going to do a play and they finally get ready. They can do the show and the curtains are, what do they call that? The opening night. You know, they have the opening night. And you're going to get to see what it is, but they only have so many performances. I mean, they wear themselves out. It's a big thing on Broadway when a show finally closes. What's the longest running show ever on Broadway? Does anybody know? No thespians in the crowd. Is it cats? Did somebody say cats? Cats. I was wondering if it was the Lion King. But nowadays we'd have to make it Hamilton just so the most PC one would be uh, the longest running one, right? Well, eventually these shows stopped performing. But here we read about Jesus. He who's begun this work in us, and He has begun this work. Verse 2 told us that. Those of you who are sanctified in Christ, called to be saints, this royal summons to this sainthood. He began this work and He will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. There will be no last showing in this life. But when you leave here and go to there, it will be done. But until then, 
He'll perform it over and over and over again. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. Boy, that's a summary of what Paul's saying here to the Corinthians. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. You are called to be saints. And God has supplied you everything you need to do it. And then faithfulness. That's our last one in verse 9. God is faithful by whom you were called unto the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. He continues the previous thought from verse 8 that God is faithful. He has supplied us with Himself. Specifically, He supplied us here with His faithfulness. It is He who has called us and we know. Romans eleven twenty nine 29. For the gifts... And the calling of God are without repentance. Well, what a, what a knowledge to have. The gifts of God are without repentance. The calling of God is without repentance. He will never turn away from that calling. He will never change direction in the direction that He has brought us to. Where you go, He'll go. Where He leads, you will follow. Calvin said it simply, God is steadfast and what He purposes. Yes, He is. We've been called to be saints, just like those at Corinth then. This is the will of God, which is fulfilled by God's supply. And then from here, Paul begins his work on the Corinthian church in verse 10 saying, I beseech you. I appeal to you. Let me exhort you in this regard. Wearsby writes, In the light of these great truths, how could the people in the Corinthian assembly get involved in the sins of the world and the flesh. They were an elect people, an enriched people, and an established people. They were saints set apart for the glory of God. Alas, their practice was not in accord with their position. It's well said. Is your practice in accord with your position? You are an elect people. You are an enriched people. You are an established people. But are you living like that? I would say that we're not. We're blessed with all spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. No good thing will He withhold from them who put their trust in Him. Yet we run around flipping livers, worried to death. What's going to happen? The sky is falling. What am I going to do? We should be the most peaceful people on the face of the earth. We have the solution to the curse. You understand, the curse is what causes financial downfall, physical health downfall, relationship downfall. It's, it's what causes all of the negative in all of the world. And you and I have the solution. It's Jesus Christ. He will one day remove the curse. And those who are on His side will be with Him when He does this. But we almost act aimless as if we well, I just don't know what to do. This is bad. Times are bad. Things are tough. We're like the Israelites in Egypt. God was plaguing Egypt to death. But the children of Israel were stationed to live over in a little place called Goshen. While the darkness was all over Egypt, they had lights in Goshen. The unbeliever who lives next door to you may be as hopeless as can be in this life. They may be in the dark. Let them see the light shining brightly in your home. Oh, they're going to be super concerned about the economy and the elections and the viruses and the tornado damage and everything else that ever happens for the rest of life. Let them look over at your house and say, what are they smiling about? Don't you hate that when somebody's smiling and you're not and you don't know why they're smiling? It's a great evangelistic tool. The joy of the Lord is my strength. We sing with the kids. With Christ in my vessel, I can smile at the storm until He takes me home. And then you've got to say, Sailing, sailing home, sailing, sailing. And I know that's goofy to some of you and you say, ah, I can't stand when you do that. That's the problem, you know. 
We should be the happiest, most joyful people on all the face of the earth. We should be so low in our level of pride that we won't mind doing like this and swinging around. No, I'm not going to make you. I grew up under a dad who would have made you. You've been around my dad. That's the way he is with some, some people sometimes. So I learned that probably wasn't the best way to be in a public assembly. We've been called to be saints. And we've been supplied by God to be those saints. But what's the deal? What's the problem? What is our issue? Well, let us not be like the Corinthians who were elect and rich and established, but they didn't live out where they'd been put. Let us consider our own selves as we study through this letter and change our lives according to God's goodness. Let's pray. Lord, we're so glad that you've given us your word. We've, we've just gone through, really, some of the most glorious parts of 1 Corinthians, and now we're going to get into some of the, the grim. So, Lord, help us to examine ourselves tonight and have a look at our attitudes. Are we willing to be malleable as you, the potter, mold our vessels? Can we flex? Can we remove some things? Can we be shaped as you would have us to be? As individuals and as a, as a church body. Lord, it could be that you reveal to us through this study that you, you're not blessing us in some areas because you really don't want us doing those things. And you maybe bless us in areas that we're not even accessing doing things that you'd have us to do. God, give us hearts that say, Lord, we want to be the church as you'd have us to be the church according to the Bible in this area and in this time in history. Whatever that means. Lord, may we hear it here and go live it out everywhere else. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thanks for coming. You're dismissed.